0: Thank you for another, t- another day and, and uh, another time we can get together. And we just ask uh, that you would just give us your thoughts this morning and give me teeth and a tongue that can speak properly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, just a brief this morning, just a thinking of these two things, and this is what I've been thinking, and God has been dealing with me personally and giving me uh, his counsel for me personally, and I can just share with you these thoughts, and maybe God will, I'm sure he can, because it's his word, he'll bless you. And gave you counsel just like he gave me counsel. So, in the in the Word of God in the Bible, there are two different wills and two different yokes, and depending upon what we do with our wills, then that will have, but that will bring in a particular yoke. Uh, of course, we know that. God gave Adam and Eve in in, in Genesis the, the second chapter he gave them he created them in his image now God's image God is free in himself to operate according to his will his will has to do with his nature and his nature has to do obviously with his character and his essence and so God is free in himself based upon his will which has to do with his nature. He created man. He created Adam and Eve. And when he said he created man in his image in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he's he saw Eve and Adam, long before he ever took Eve out of Adam. And we you know when we look at these things in the scriptures in Genesis 1 26 and 27 Created man in his image in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He created them, man and woman, and he created them with a free will. And before they fell, as long as they with their will were in a place to receive, they always had a proper yoke. They had a proper yoke. Soon as they fell, God never took away their free will. This will do, and this kind of teaching, the word of God will do away with the false teaching that God would ever will in his predetermined plan long before he ever created mankind, that he would predetermine, apart from their own will, a portion some to heaven and some to hell. The reason that I bring that up is because, thank God for us, for us as we grow in grace and knowledge constantly that we don't have to be affected by that bad, false teaching, but it is so out there. It is so far out there. But God never did that. So getting back to create being created in God's image, he created Adam with a free will, and again, as long as he functioned in his proper place of receiving, and that's our proper place even now being Christians, is to constantly receive, by grace, and this was brought out in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. So as long as he was in a place, Adam and Eve, they were in a place to constantly receive, they were kept from not having, they were kept from not having a bad yoke around them. Now so the yokes that we talk about always have to do with the will. So when Adam and Eve fell, God never took away Their free will, because when God gives a gift, He doesn't take it away. He does not take it away. Even those that, in their will, in their own will, and it's called free will, that simply means this God created man with a will to be free to make choices, but those choices can be right or wrong. That's why the Bible teaches us that after the fall, That we don't have a true free will until we see in, in James 4 and verse 6, it says this. But he gives a greater grace. He gives us a greater grace. Obviously, this is his son based upon James. John 1 and verse 14. But he gives a greater grace. See, it's always passive. God is always giving. Man is always receiving. See that in the garden before they fell. They were created. Who created them? Christ in his pre-incarnate state. He created them, their bodies from the dust of the ground. And I like to say it like this. He created from Adam's body from the dust of the ground. But he took woman out of Adam and he built a woman. (laughs) He built her. A woman. And we can see that clearly in the scriptures here. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud. That's a, that's a yoke of bondage. Pride. A yoke of bondage. I don't need God. I can do everything myself. A yoke of bondage. Therefore it says God, God is opposed or he resists the proud. But, and that's a contrast in conjunction, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. What do we submit? Our will. Sin's basic definition is not your will, God, my will. That's sin in its basic definition. Not what I, and you remember what Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when with such pressure upon him in Luke 22:44, such demonic pressure upon him he was sweating drops of blood drops of blood and he, kept, he would constantly say in Matthew 26, 41 and down through there nevertheless your will be done your will be done so submit therefore to God And this is what happens when we submit, when we give our will over to God. Look what it says. Then resist the devil. Who does the resisting? It's Christ in us when we submit to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That simply means that when I, with my free will to make a choice to either do, to have good or evil. We know good is in God. It's submission submission to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I do, when I submit my will to God, now uh, my will doesn't have to face and does not face Satan without Christ. But when I submit to him, I put Christ between me and the devil. And then what happens? What does it say? Draw near, and then it says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Then, then, when the devil is out, dealt with experientially in us, then we can draw near to God. See, the enemy doesn't want us to draw near to God. For God to do in us what he's already finished about us with, in, through his intimate love. So, draw near to God, and then what? He will draw near to you. Do do we see here him forcing himself on us? Do we see that? We don't. He's not violating our will. He won't do that. He will never violate our will. So, that when you draw near to God, then he draws near to you, and then what? Then we cleanse our hands. He does it, not us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and then you purify your hearts from being double-minded, mixing our thoughts with God's thoughts. So, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, says this, Come to me. Come to me. He does not say, Before you come to me, you have to cleanse your hands. And before you come to me, you have to cleanse. Get rid of a double mind. Meaning you have to teach yourself. Which, can we clean our own hands or teach ourselves a single thing? What can we do without Christ? In John 15, 1-5, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And so here, it brings it out. Come unto me. Come to me. All you who are weary, you labor. What's causing you? What would it be that would cause you and I to be weary, to, to wear us out and to labor? Well, it would be because, experientially, us in Christ, we would have a yoke of bondage on us. And then we think that we have to do something. That's the lie from Satan. See, the lie was brought out, and that's what caused the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. You see, the enemy lied. He told Adam and Eve, first he told Eve, he said, listen, if you do eat from that tree that God told you not to, and by the way, he doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he doesn't want you to be equal to him, that's a lie, well anyways, who could be? He said, you can be just like God. You can be little gods. You don't need him. You can can do this all yourself, you see. You can be little gods, knowing good and evil. The only thing he didn't tell them is that they would know it in a ruined, fallen condition. He never told them that, did he? Oh, yeah. So that then, without him, without drawing near, without submitting to him, without submitting our will, to his will, his nature, his character, his word. Without that, with, without that, what happens? What, what happens? Well, I'll tell you, this is what happens. We get weary and we labor. We do ourselves and then people and then heavy laden. We get all this other bad teaching. Yeah, Jesus did this much, but now you have to do this. You have to do this much. When Jesus himself came to fulfill the Father's will completely in John 4 and verse 34 and to finish the work, which he did on the cross in John 19 and verse 30. Then, he is the source of our strength. He gives us grace, right? He gives it. He gives it to us. When we, in Isaiah 28, 9, all the way through to uh, 13, And then in Isaiah 40, uh, 28 to 31, with these scriptures we see that when we're weary, what, what do we do? We come to him. Come to him. Submit. Submit your will to me. When you're weary, I will do away with your weariness because in Psalm 121, in that psalm, he never gets weary. He never gets weary. He never gets weak. But we can But with our our wills, without him, we're weak. That's Hebrews 12, verse 1. Lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us. And they make us weak. weak. When we try to do things without him, we get weak. So he says, come to me, all you that are weary. And when I come to him, in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12.9, He gives me grace and that. He strengthens me with the grace and truth that Christ is in me. He does. And then the weak can say what now? I'm strong. I am strong. But we need to come to him. Come to him. That's what we do. We, all of us, through the week. You know, everything about our whole week was God preparing us so that we would come to him. Did we know that? Come to him. We may have done a lot of things, Without even thinking of him. Again, he's not condemning us, he's not accusing us, he constantly loves us. But we may have done a lot of things, ignorantly or rebelliously or stubbornly, doesn't change his love for us, but he was using all that to bring us to this place so that we would come to him. <laughs> because what we try to do without him, what we try to think without him, when we don't think with him, we get weary. And then that leaves us in a place where now, when it's not Christ that we come to, I'm going to have to rely on someone else. But when I do, they'll put things on me bad teaching, no teaching, or put things on us that just even make us more heavy laden. <laughs> then what does he say? And then what? And I will give you what? Rest. Take, but this is the necessity for us take my yoke upon you. Again, we need to bring this out in the scriptures. Jesus never needed a yoke. So when he's offering the yoke, it's not like the, the, the two yoke of oxen that we see. Like Jesus has a yoke around him and he's saying here, now you come one too. Some teach that way, that Jesus actually needed a yoke. He needed to be strained because in some way he could have sinned. Never. Never. He could never have sinned because he had a human nature and it was impeccable. And we see this as we turn to the scriptures and not personal opinion. We can see these realities here to understand him. That's why we can come to him. We can come to him because he knows what sin is. Not through sinning, but how it affected him and how it went into him and how he dealt with it on the cross. He knows it way better than you and I do. This is Numbers 19, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law, the teaching, the doctrine, which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, that they bring an unblemished red heifer. Now, this is the only place in the Scriptures where the sacrifice, that particular sacrifice, was not a male. And some would say, then, could this still refer to Christ? And it would, because he always submitted to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's Matthew 26, 39, and 41. Your will be done. So here, being God's creation, and that's who Christ was. He was created in the womb of a 14-year-old peasant girl. his humanity. He bypassed the sin nature. He had a human nature. And in Luke one thirty-five, that's why it says that Holy One in you will be called the Son of God. So, of course, for the Son of God to dwell in a vessel, it had to be pure. And that's the humanity of Jesus. Still could feel pain like no man's ever felt. Hate, rejection, and evil like no human being could ever. ever. It's the pure Son of God in his humanity, even. That's why it says he's the red heifer, because it speaks of incredible submission. He always, in John 8, 29, and Romans 15, and verse 3, he always did those things that pleased the Father. Why? Because it was fulfilling his will in propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Well, they said, the sons of Israel in Numbers 19, verse 2, they're to bring an unblemished red heifer in which is no defect. His humanity had no defect, didn't have a sin nature, had a human nature. Hebrews 4, and verse 15, the original brings it out. Yet without sin, they are in Hebrews 4, verse 15. The last few words in that verse say, Sin apart, no sin nature. And here, they are to bring that unblemished red heifer in which no defect and on which a yoke has never been placed you see that the yoke he never needed a yoke he never had to be restrained to obey he came to fulfill the will of the father and to finish the work that's why we need to come to him constantly because when we do when we as christians those that are in christ when we come to him He brings into our experience what he's finished about us, something that he did for us without us, but that he deeply wants us to experience and never apart from him. What can we truly experience apart from him that would ever in any way give us eternal joy, any kind of joy? So that's why it says here in Matthew 11, "Hey, Come to me, all who are weary, that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We need a yoke. And the flesh in us does not want that yoke. No. No, doesn't want the yoke. Take my yoke upon you. That means he has a yoke for you and I personally. And because, because of this, because everything that he did in his intimate, immutable, unchanging love that he first did for his father, that's the burnt offering in Leviticus, the first chapter, and you'll see the others in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. But the burnt offering spoke of propitiation. You see, but when he says, take my yoke upon you, what you, what I want you to see When you take that is, is that I have dealt with the whole sin question. But also, that's something that you don't have to deal with. You could never in a fallen state that he did. But also, you're going to see that I did crucify your old. All the old thinking that we can go back to in a moment in disobedience. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, the old man was crucified. And then when you take my yoke upon you, you're gonna see every single thing that I did for you as an individual. You see, everything he did for us, he did for us in, in our own individuality. I can't even, that can't be stressed enough to me from God and I can't even begin to stress the importance that we know that. That everything he did was so intimate for us. So intimate. And that intimacy is brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17, where each of us will feast on that hidden manna. That's what we had. We fed on it. You see, we we can edify each other. We can give the word to each other. But we have to feed on Christ ourselves personally. And when we do, we're feeding on what he did for us personally. That's why we need to come to him. When we're weary and heavy laden. And when then we'll experience his rest. What is God the Father doing right now? Well, Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 says he's resting in his son. He's resting in his son that he loves. That was the propitiatory sacrifice, the burnt offering. In In Genesis 22 and verse 8, my son God will provide himself a sacrifice. And God in providing for himself, which had to be dealt with first, he could provide for us. So it was his son that he gave for himself to provide for himself in propitiation. And then God would be free to give him to us as our substitute, whereby we could be now reconciled. That's what we do when we come to hear the word. When we come, you see everything about this week, God in his plan, he knew it would prepare us to come. To hear his counsel this morning. Every one of us. And then we have a choice. Which yoke we want to be yoked up with. I was sharing it with my, my dear friend Mike. Mike Fenton. And God first. Before he was explaining the yokes to me. He was telling me from now on. Ed. I don't want you to speak from under. Your under voice. That fallen voice. That ruined old voice. That you no longer are. I want to speak the above voice. Who my son has made you to be, who I truly see who you are. And and, and that was accomplished through my deep, intimate desire and love for you. That's who I I want you to speak from above, not from beneath. There's all kinds of scriptures in Isaiah 29 verse four. You don't speak from the dust, the low, and allow the enemy to use you like a ventriloquist will use a dummy to cause them to speak. I don't want you speaking from under anymore. I want you to speak above. She so was telling me. And then he brought in the whole yoke thing to me. Take my yoke. You see that? Did he force it? You see any violation here? No. Come. Take. Freely. Take my yoke upon you. It's very personal. And learn from me, intimately, learn who God has made you and I to be in our own individuality. You see, the body of Christ is made up of many members in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13, but we're all members in particular in twelve twenty-seven. We, God designed us in a way that only we and Him could reveal Himself. <laughs> and that's Revelations two seventeen. We have we feast on the hidden manna, and then we have this white stone. And it's a name. A name speaks of nature there. It's inscribed on the white stone like a diamond. And only he who gives it, and only that one that receives it, has that depth of intimate love and fellowship. And that's our own individuality. That's where we're headed to, without disturbance and without distraction. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am boy. Oh, I'm gentle, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke really is easy you know that's what he says my my yoke is easy you know it's very comfortable it's very pleasant far more than the yoke of the flesh the yoke of bondage for my yoke is easy it's very pleasant and comfortable And my burden is light. My burden is light. And then we see this. And then we can close very soon here. But now we're in Galatians. And we're going to see the other yoke. That can possibly, we can possibly, and it's a choice. It's a choice. Now this is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm reading from a different translation this morning. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Notice that? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Who's our source of freedom? It's Christ. Did he do it for us individually? He did. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. That's what Jesus was telling his Jewish disciples. To learn of me. And that John 8 31, learn at me, become my disciplined learner. And you can't, you and I can't learn properly without having being yoked up to Jesus and not to the flesh. The flesh won't receive a thing. The natural man in us, that flesh, will not receive a single thing in First Corinthians 2 and verse 14. It won't do it. It'll choose to live choose to live in known ignorance or rebellion or stubbornness. There's no question about it for any of us. And that's 1 Samuel 15, and verse 23. But here it says it was for freedom. So Jesus said this, and he said it again, and this is what is being brought out here very, very clearly in the scriptures here. And again, I just want to read them to make them very, very plain and very uh, simple for, for us all, us together, to understand in John 8 verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed on him, if you continue in my word, that's submission of the will, if you continue in my word, then you truly are disciplined, you're my mathetes, my disciplined learners, but whatever's accomplished for you is an individual and you will know the truth, and here it is and the truth will what? Make you what? Free free, you see and, and in 8.36 also. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, in, in this very beautiful, very simple, but very beautiful way, in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's our position. Therefore, keep standing firm. In other words, for freedom's sake, Christ set you free, so be free. <laughs> Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's bondage, slavery. That's the flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9, but that positionally we're no longer of, but we can still experience it through throwing off experientially a yoke of submission to Christ and function under that yoke of bondage again. We can't serve two masters. You know, what a yoke is, it's for the purpose for the purpose of what? Why did Jesus come? In Matthew twenty twenty eight and Mark ten forty five, he did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When we have that yoke submitted to Christ, okay, it's we are in a place for him to minister what he's who he is and what he's done for us individually. When I put the yoke of bondage on, then what? Who am I under? Who do I function under experientially? Where did the old sin nature come from? In Genesis 3, 1 to 6, came from the enemy. Now the flesh is still in us, contrary to very bad teaching, one naturism, and what they'll they'll explain one naturism through what they call the exchange life, which the Bible brings out very clearly in Romans the seventh chapter in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 8, bring out very clearly, we still have the flesh is still in us, but we're not of it. <laughs> and if we sin, sin proves sin, when I fail and live in disobedience, known, known obedience, and known disobedience, in James four seventeen, to him that knows to do good, does it not to him it is sin. It's because that there's a yoke of bondage and I'm being held by the enemy in this thinking, In this bondage here, and that's why it says this again, and I'll read it again in the scriptures instead of just quoting them. And usually we God has us to do that in other times. This is a very rare time, but it says this in John 8, verse 34, where we were just reading, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly I say unto you, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. In other words, If we're not being mastered by Christ experientially, it's because we don't have that yoke. We have that yoke that he has for us. We have another yoke, and that's the enemy. That's called the yoke of bondage, the yoke of slavery, in Galatians 5 and verse 1. So everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, are we, positionally, slaves of sin? Do we have to sin? Do we have to? We don't. We choose to. Because sin is in the will, just like love is in the will, depending upon which one we submit our will to and have that yoke upon us. So as we close, and we will close, I think this is three strikes in a out. But this again is bringing out Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, to thirty, and then what? Paul and you, Paul here again. The whole book of Galatians, the book of Galatians here. During Paul's day, if we look at this in isagogics, and that just simply means going back to the Word of God and placing ourselves like it was right. We're there. We're viewing what was going on at that particular time. That's isagogics. Had the word and its historical frame of reference. So we go back. And everywhere Paul would go in, the Apostle Paul, taking the things of Christ through the Holy Spirit, doing it in him, teaching the people. And then right behind them were all these what are called Gnostics, the all-knowing ones that didn't need God to know things. He would leave and they would come right back in and try and reteach the people not that just like the enemy, still? Wants to reteach us again with the old way of thinking. That's what was going on in Paul's day when he wrote this whole thing. And he had to write it. We had to write it. He had to write it without an amanuensis because he had really bad eyesight. and Many believe he was epileptic and had very bad eyesight. So he had to write it with his own hand. And he even said that. He even said it. In Galatians 6, 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you. <laughs> he was so blind. But he, he had the love of Christ so much in him for these Galatians. That even though he didn't have someone to help him. He was writing it with big letters. <laughs> boy, I tell you, that's what he was writing here in Galatians 5, verse 1. And boy, did the Apostle Paul. As Saul, didn't he know this his whole lifetime thinking he's doing God's service. He's in intense bondage. Can you imagine the inner turmoil, what he was going through, trying to live a righteous life without Christ? Well, it was for freedom's sake in Galatians 5.1 that Christ has, that's past tense, by the way, past tense, set us free, finished work. Therefore, keep standing and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, believe me, as a witness, that's what he's saying, if anyone knows it, I do, say to you that if you receive circumcision, if you think you can do anything without Christ, look what it says, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, like you think you can do something for God, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law, the whole law. By the way, the whole law, he's saying, okay, so the whole law is this, that as a sinner, in death, you're still to keep the law. Try to keep the Ten Commandments even. Some teach this. Some do. Some Seriously, some did get saved and immediately without teaching, they go about and teach, now here's no, the law of the Ten Commandments is still good for us to try and do, we have to do it. Jesus saved us, now we have to help him. Well, Exodus 23 to 17 and into 18 brings it out. Those are the 10 Hebrew words. That's what it says in the original to the Jews. There were 10 Hebrew words, yeah? But attached to that were over 613 statutes and ordinances you had to keep up with. And if you offend, in James 2.10, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. you break the whole thing. This is what he's saying here. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation. You've got to keep the whole law then if you don't need Christ. Go ahead. You have been severed from Christ. He's telling them experientially, This bad teaching, the enemy, through these others, when I leave, they come in to teach you because they can't sever you. The enemy can't sever you from your position in Christ. So he's going to try and sever you from your experience. That everything, who Christ is and what he's done for you as an individual, that you won't experience. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here. You've been severed from Christ you who are seeking to be justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation by the law. All the law did in Romans 7, 13 to 14 was bring out the evil nature. And that's what Romans 8, 2 and 3 says. For, for what the law could not do, see? he Christ has delivered us from the law of sin and death. He's delivered us from that, that old law of sin and death. This has to do with these two yokes. These two yokes for believers. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law now, you have fallen from grace, not positionally, but experientially. You can never lose your salvation. You can't fall out of the grace that saved you once and for all. That's John chapter 6, 37 and 39. That's, that's John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. No one can tear us out of his hands. No one. And that's why it says in 1 John 5, 18b, the wicked one touches us not. He can touch us with lies. He could touch Job with boils and, and cause him to lose everything with his evil, but he couldn't touch his eternal life. The enemy can't touch our eternal life, Opposition position. He comes after us experientially. It says, in this area, you don't need God. You don't need him here, put this yoke on, oh boy! You have fallen from grace experientially only, for for we, through the Spirit, Holy Spirit, by dependence, are waiting for the hope, guarantee of righteousness to be revealed to us, which is ours. For in Christ Jesus, it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, circumcision means anything, but faith working and expressing itself through love. In other words, when I depend upon him, when I get yoked up with him, he's free to work in me what he's already accomplished about me in my own individuality. And then finally, just briefly, I'll touch on this, uh, just briefly, because again, some, some, when we read the scriptures without teaching some think that when you get to the bema seat you know and that's for believers only by the way in second corinthians 5:10 and the bema seat does is is we see the fire of his love purifying gold silver and precious stones gold silver and precious stones we see this that all it brings out is the purity of what he's done in us then why is there wood, hay, and stubble being burnt up? It is. He, that's the fire of his love. And what he's going to show us there is everything that he dealt with in, 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 the, in the flesh that we functioned in is completely dealt with. That's Bemacy. And hopefully we can persuade others to appear there and not at the judgment seat where there will be terror. The terror of Second Corinthians five verse eleven will be the terror of the great white throne judgment, in Revelations chapter twenty verses eleven to fifteen. There is no judgment for us. There isn't. There's plenty of loving chastisement, but never any judgment, in, in that sense. And so. We need to come, and that's what we need to do, and that's what we do continually each, each time that we have the opportunity to hear the Word, and as much as we can to do it face-to-face, and when we can't, and God knows when we can't. He's very gentle. He knows when we can't, and then he, we can still have provision to receive the Word so that we can function in, in freedom and not have a yoke of bondage, but have a yoke of freedom, right? A yoke of freedom. So, Father, we thank you so much that what it was said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, is our true position in Christ. We can come to him. We can come to him. We don't have to wait. We don't have to stay in the struggle. We don't have to stay being weary. We don't have to stay with something that someone put on us. We can come to you and cast all... Our care, our anxiety, in First Peter five seven, upon you. You know, because you do care, in such a depth of your love for us, you do care, because we have an adversary, the devil, and he walks about just looking for areas where he where he can replace us. He can replace Christ in our experience in Ephesians four twenty seven, and then devour us and tear us to shreds. But thank you that we can come to you. We can come to you. Because we have a great high priest. Who's passed into the heavens. Positionally. And we're positioned in him. And we have not a high priest. One that could never be touched. By the feeling of our infirmities. But wasn't always tested. Not through sin. But what entered into him. His whole life. And what he dealt with finally on the cross. For all those that would receive him to have this sins dealt with. We have this yoke, and that's your yoke, We to yoke up to you, Lord. And we're just so thankful for the clarity of your word. We thank you for the intensity of the intimacy and deep desire of your love for us. Oh my God, what is man? When I consider all your creation in Psalm 8, 1 to... 3 and verse 4, what is man God, that you would be mindful of him and you're so mindful of us Lord and we're so thankful that you're mindful of us individually and thank you for that Lord, we thank you for everything that Christ has accomplished in propitiation and substitution and reconciliation thank you Lord for that and we're going to talk from the above voice in Colossians 3, verse 2. We're not going to seek the things below, underneath on the earth, but the things that are above. Because that's what we're looking for. Our view, we're here on this earth, but our view is vertical. We're looking for that great appearing of our, the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Titus 2, in verse 13 and 14. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.